Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Megan Chionis is a real estate professional here in town. We're going to get the scoop on what's happening on market trends. And all in real estate, and also we'll visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of many books, his latest, Architects, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. <clears throat> it is November the 10th and on the stand, 1775, during the American Revolution, the Continental Congress passed a resolution stating that two battalions of Marines be raised for service at landing forces for recently reformed Continental Navy. The resolution, drafted by future U.S. President John Adams and adopted in Philadelphia, created the Continental Marines and is now observed as the birth date of the United States Marine Corps. Serving on land and sea at the original U.S. Marines distinguished themselves in a number of important operations during the Revolutionary War. The first Marine landing on a hostile shore occurred when the uh, force of Marines landed under Capital, uh, Captain Samuel Nicholas, captured New Providence Island in Bahamas from the British in March 1776. Nicholas was the first commissioned officer in the Continental Marines and is celebrated as the first Marine commandant. After American independence was achieved in 1783, the Continental Navy was demolished, or demob- excuse me, demobilized, and its Marines disbanded. In the next decade, however, increasing conflict at sea with revolutionary France led the U.S. Congress to establish formally the U.S. Navy in May 1798. Two months later, on July the 11th, President John Adams signed the bill establishing the U.S. Marine Corps as a permanent military force under the jurisdiction of the Department of Navy. U.S. Marines saw action in the so-called Quasi War with France and then fought against the Barbary Pirates of North Africa during the first years of the 19th century. Since then, Marines have participated in all the wars in the United States and in, in most cases were the first soldiers to fight. In all, Marines have executed more than 300 landings on foreign shores. Today, there's more than 200,000 active duty and reserve Marines divided into four divisions stationed at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, Camp Pendleton in California, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Okinawa, Japan. Each division has one or more expeditionary units ready to launch major operations anywhere in the world on two weeks' notice. The motto of the service is Semper Fidelis, simply meaning all, always faithful in Latin. Semper Fi. Well, today we observe Veterans Day. It's the U.S. legal holiday dedicated to American veterans of all wars. And the Veteran Day uh, 2023 is occurring tomorrow, November the 11th, in 1918, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, an armistice of temporary cessation of hostilities was declared between the Allied nations and Germany in World War I, then known as the Great War, or as Woodrow Wilson said, the war to end all wars. 
Uh, commemorated in many countries as Armistice Day the following year, November 11th became a federal holiday in the United States in 1938. In the aftermath of uh, World War II and Korean War, Armistice Day became known as Veterans Day. And to our veterans, we thank you for your service and for the freedoms we enjoy. We credit uh, in large part to you. So thank you for your service. Well, we almost had it all. A ninth uh, straight day of gains in the S&P 500 would have been the longest streak since 2004. Things were looking pretty darn good on Thursday, but it all changed when Fed Chair Jerome Powell said he was not confident policymakers had done enough to curb inflation. Uh, That renewed fears of more interest rate hikes and crushingly ended the stock's hot streak. But it was a heck of a darn run. And uh, by the way, stocks were up until he made his comments and then they cratered unfortunately. But uh, he's probably right. It probably needs to do more in order to get inflation down to 2%. Well, Israel will start four-hour humanitarian pauses in parts of North Gaza every day, uh, National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said Thursday. We've been told by the Israelis there will be no more military operations in these areas over the duration of the pause, and this process is starting today, Kirby said. He also said he hopes that the pauses happen as long as needed, but he repeated the United States does not support a ceasefire because it would help Hamas legitimize what they did on October the 7th when terrorists entered Israel and murdered more than 1,400 folks, including over 30 U.S. citizens. There is no ceasefire. There is no tactical. Uh, there are tactical local pauses for humanitarian aid for Gazan civilians, the uh, Israel, Israel Defense Forces posted on X, formerly Twitter. Uh, We also are providing humanitarian corridors for civilians in Gaza to temporarily move south to safer areas where they can receive humanitarian aid. Our war is with Hamas and not the people of Gaza. So true. And by the way, these these are going to be random times. There's going to be three-hour notice of when the pause will occur so people will know and start to plan to travel, do whatever they need to do, or get aid, uh, food, water, and so forth, because a lot of that has been cut off in Gaza. Well, Senator Joe Manchin won't run for re-election in 2024. The moderate Democrat uh, from West Virginia made his intentions known in a video posted on X. Instead of running for the fourth term, the 76-year-old said he will travel the U.S. to see if there's an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. Uh, Manchin is a deciding vote for the last year's Landmark Inflation Reduction Act, has refused to rule out a third-party run for president in 2024 as the nominee for the No Labels Party, a centrist political group for the politically homeless. Manchin's decision likely hurts Democrats' chances of maintaining a narrow majority in the Senate. So, uh, quite frankly, I think he's pretty well decided that he's going to run for president on the No Labels Party. Uh, We'll see how this turns out. I think it'll probably hurt uh, Biden a heck of a lot more than it's going to hurt Trump. A third-party presidential primary debate hosted by NBC News witnessed a dramatic viewership decline with just over 6 million viewers turning in. That's a 71% drop since uh, uh, 2015. It's the uh, the lowest audience turnout in the current campaign season, a 45% drop in viewers from the first debate. Trump's rally in Hialeah was televised during the debate. I wonder if that had any impact. I suspect it did. In any event, uh, certainly not going the way that uh, Ronald McDaniel or others planned. And uh, uh, 
a lot of folks are asking for her to leave her position as the head of the uh, the Republican National Committee. Uh, last week, Elon Musk used Joe Rogan's podcast to call out his fellow multi-billionaire George Soros for making crime so much worse in America, getting district attorneys elected who refuse to prosecute crime. That's part of the problem in San Francisco and L.A. and many other cities, Musk added. Uh, Soros realized that you don't actually need to change the laws. You just need to change how they're enforced. And he's right, and the good news is that the outraged public is fighting back. In liberal Pittsburgh, Soros-backed public defender Matt Dugan uh, won May's Democrat primary against District Attorney Stephen Zappala. But Zappala won the GOP nomination on a write-in, and this week he won re-election by convincing 30% of Democrats to cross party lines and vote for him. In the most stunning upset of the day on Tuesday, suburban Loudoun County, Virginia, liberal Buta Buttaraj was ousted as the top prosecutor by Republican Bob Anderson. Buttaraj was uh, attacked for mishandling sexual assault cases in Loudoun County schools, earning the ire of parents throughout the county. Most amazingly, Johnson won despite being outspent 15 to 1. Amazing results. So people are waking up. No more Soros-backed district attorneys. According to the latest Census Bureau, the U.S. population is uh, projected to shrink by the year 2100, which would only be the second decline in the country's history. The other occurred in 1918 during the Spanish flu and World War I. Annual population growth Rates have dropped from about 1.2% in the 90s to just 0.5% today. The culprits, declining birth rates and an aging population. The U.S. could uh, even be topped by Pakistan and Nigeria as the third biggest country in the middle of the century, per U.N. projections. The anticipated shrinkage means immigration will be essential for any hopes of continued growth, and yet the U.S. is still growing faster than many other high-income nations, some of which, like Japan and Italy, are already losing population. So we're fortunate we do have immigration. Uh, my issue is it's not a legal immigration, and we need to, some of it is, but uh, most of it, of course, is just the illegals coming across our border. We need to do something to fix that and make sure that the right people are coming in from other countries into the United States. We can do that with legal immigration. Well, a report published by the Government Accountability Office on Tuesday found government agencies incorrectly reporting spending and, at times, did not report their expenditures to USAspending.gov, the official source of federal funding information. The Government of uh, Treasury, Health, the Departments of Treasury, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, and Transportation were flagged by the GEO for having multi-billion dollar discrepancies across different public COVID-19 spending disclosures during the 2022 fiscal year. 25 executive agencies, which are responsible for internally determining if they meet the conditions that would require reporting their expenditures to USA Spending, were included among the 49 agencies GAO identified as having not reported their COVID-19 obligations to USA spending. Uh, Treasury is the greatest discrepancy. The Treasury Department has the greatest discrepancy in COVID-19 spending across its different public reports. The department denoted $231.5 billion in COVID-19 spending in its uh, annual financial report. It only reported $36 billion. Pretty big discrepancy there. 
Health and Human Services had the second worst discrepancy. The agency's annual uh, financial report listed $85.7 billion. Uh, obligations while reporting $91.7 billion on USA spending. And even the data that was reporting was often incomplete. Uh, more than uh, $1.3 trillion in spending obligations reported to USA spending between 2020 and 2022 contained incomplete data, according to the report. So again, uh, this is just, uh, there seems to be no respect for capital or fiscal responsibility right now in the federal government. GAO is reporting this, and that's a good thing, but uh, right now, things are run amok, and we're really in trouble here financially. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just want to remind you that uh, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center is now serving 
Dinner, Wednesdays through Saturday nights, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu is terrific and there's great value. I hope you'll give it a try. Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. at Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. Uh, PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. So, William, right now we are hearing a lot. There's a lot of news breaking, and we're not hearing too much about how things are progressing with regard, with regard to the uh, appropriations bills. Can you give us an update? Indeed. So um, as we've discussed uh, in prior Fridays, we've got seven days till uh, government shutdown unless uh, the the Congress passes these appropriations measures. And as we've spoken before, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson ascended to his speakership role on a commitment to return to, quote unquote, regular order, this notion that Congress is going to deliberate over these 12 appropriations bills. And as of last Friday, they passed the House had passed six of the 12 annual appropriations bills. Um, on that front, there was good news and bad news last week. So the good news was um, they passed another one. They passed a seventh appropriations bills that funds the EPA and the interior that it, it poses um, up significant cuts. Um, the bad news was that they had to shelve votes on two this week on two other funding bills that for transportation and housing and also for financial services. And the reasons these bills were shelved uh, hint at the, you know, the, the difficulty of these sorts of deliberations. Um, the transportation bill uh, was nixed, or at least this week was taken um, off the floor because Northeastern Republicans opposed cuts to Amtrak. I mean, you know, that's the sort of parochial concern that one must navigate in these sorts of deliberations. Um, uh, the next sort of, I guess, the, the big, uh, the next big question when it comes to this appropriations um, story as it unfolds towards this the November 17th shutdown is how to structure the continuing resolution. And that's the fancy legalese term for Congress punting on appropriations measures. Uh, so uh, Senator Schumer, um, he started uh, jumping through the procedural hoops this week to have a quote-unquote clean continuing resolution that would, in essence, run up right before Christmas, and thereby, th- this is, I guess, a, uh, the, the standard playbook for Senator Schumer, and indeed for uh, lawmaker leaders on both sides of the aisle for the last 40 years, alas. And that's to basically punt the decisions until December 24th, and then rely on the fact that all lawmakers want to get home for Christmas, um, to uh, smash through a, you know, a multi-thousand-page bill that keeps spending on autopilot. So that's Schumer's plan. Speaker Johnson has a plan for what he's calling a laddered continual, uh, a continuing resolution. And this would, in essence, uh, hold Congress's feet to the fire by uh, creating multiple deadlines for hmm. Congress to pass these measures. And all of this would start after Christmas in January. Um, so that is where things stand as of now. Um, it's unclear how this continuing resolution battle between the House and the Senate will play out. And in the meantime, Speaker Johnson remains committed to passing these appropriations bills one by one. So, well, you know, what I can understand is I, he wants things to be transparent. He wants to uh, 
decentralized power within the uh, House of Representatives. I can't, I can't understand why he just doesn't tell his committee heads, come up with a budget, get it done in five days. It may not be perfect, but make it to, with these within these parameters, for example, whatever savings that we need and so forth, and get it passed. And that way we can present it to the, uh, get it passed on the House of Representatives and send it on to the Senate. That's a fantastic point, um, and I will. I think I can assuage your concern somewhat. Um, these bills did come out of committee, so it wasn't a, it wasn't winning winning over the committee that was the problem. Ah. It was when they ultimately reached the House floor that that members outside of the committee um, balked at the spending. You know, in that, as I stated before, uh, due to parochial concerns, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, a balk to the spending bill. Again, it's these Northeastern Republicans hung up about Amtrak funding. Um, so it is, no, I'll say this, notwithstanding what I just noted, you have, you, what you said remains an excellent point. And what I mean by that is, in the past, and, and, and I hope in the future, committees would spend months and months and months deliberating on these bills, yeah. and indeed reaching out to lawmakers outside the committee to ensure that, that they were, um, these bills would have a smooth path to getting passed. Um, so uh, the fact that this process was condensed into, frankly, a matter of days or weeks, um, I, I would like to think that's a relic of uh, Speaker McCarthy or former Speaker McCarthy's mismanagement as a speaker, as a leader, right. um, and that in the future things will return to, again, the way they worked 40-odd uh, years ago when Congress took this stuff seriously. Well said, William. Well, again, I I think you should admonish each of the members of the House to say, look, it, this may not be perfect, and you may have to give up something you want, but we got to pass these bills, so let's get on board and be a team player here. So. Here, here. So uh, any update on the uh, Trump litigation? The Trump, so remarkable week. Um, so Trump testified in the New York State civil trial. Uh, this is the one where Attorney General Letitia James is seeking a $250 million civil penalty and a ban on Trump doing business in New York based on his uh, supposed uh, inflation of his assets when he was acquiring financing. Um, and again, Trump testified this week, and it was remarkable. Um, I think because the judge is more limited, has less leeway to impose contempt on an ex-president in this context, in this unprecedented context, um, Trump went off. I mean, he denigrated the trial as politicized. It, he, he went after the judge. Yeah, it was. I've never seen anything like it before. Um, and indeed, I guess it's a function of the fact that this is an unprecedented politicized prosecution. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it was. Uh, uh, frankly, I found it somewhat entertaining as a lawyer. I, I don't know if I could advise my client uh, to act in such a manner. Um, but I do think I sympathize with what he said. Yeah. Uh, as I've noted on prior Fridays, um, if, if he was not a Republican president, if he was not loathed by the Democrat base, um, then this prosecution never would have occurred. I mean, it's the definition of a politicized prosecution, as are so many of these various prosecutions occurring across the country. No question. And uh, I'm so proud of him for speaking out. Most people would be greatly intimidated, understanding that there's a lot at risk here. Um, I've got my fortune at risk. I've got everything I've built at risk. Uh, and they, you know, probably people would sub subordinate their feelings and personal points of view to the uh, accommodate the judge, but not President Trump. <laughs> he, he spoke Indeed. right out. It was, it was a wonderful thing to see. Again, William Yateman, uh, Senior Legal Fellow of the Pacific Legal Foundation. I hope you check out pacificlegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Megan Chionis. She is a real estate professional uh, with Gulf Coast International Properties. We'll be talking about market trends here on the Paradise Coast. Right now, we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment. We're a national free market advocacy group. We work uh, really on all the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, and we try to focus on the fights where a little bit more citizen engagement and knowledge uh, might tip the outcome in a more free market direction. All our stuff is on the website, AmericanCommitment.org. AmericanCommitment.org. So thank you for that, Phil. Uh, You wrote a piece, really interesting. FCC chairs bad Wi-Fi is not a reason to regulate the Internet. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, um, you probably remember that the last two years of the Obama administration, we had uh, this reclassification order. (coughs) uh, they, They called it a net neutrality order, but it really went far beyond uh, what net neutrality had ever meant before that, and it actually reclassified the internet as a public utility, subject to you know pretty pretty uh, heavy 
government regulation. And um, the main consequence of it was there was a lot less private investment, as you would expect when there's heavy government regulation. And, of course, um, Trump's FCC under Chairman Ajit Pai repealed it. And uh, if you were paying attention to the media or to the Democrats, it, this was the... End of the universe, catastrophe, apocalypse. Uh, they literally said there were going to be dead bodies in the streets because the Internet would break and people wouldn't be able to access suicide prevention resources. And they said, uh, you know, pretty much every Democrat said it's the end of the, it'll be the end of the Internet. And they said the tw- tweets will load one word at a time and all of this kind of stuff. And literally zero of their predictions of adverse consequences occurred. Instead, uh, what happened, it's been about six or seven years now, instead what happened is uh, private investment went back up to the trend line that it was on before uh, the Obama regulations were put in. Speeds went up pretty dramatically, about tripled, and prices were flat to even down in many cases uh, because of all the investment and competition. And so it was a very very clear deregulatory success story contrary to all of these predictions and therefore uh... the democrats want to reverse it <laughs> they want to bring those regulations back and the explanation uh... the introduction to the speech in which she announced she was doing this uh, by the current fcc chair jessica rosenworcel she actually tried to use COVID as the reason uh... in that we should bring back, you know, public utility-style regulation of the Internet, which is really bizarre because um, if you actually look at what happened to, you know, Internet traffic during the lockdowns in the United States, we basically handled it fine. I mean, you might have had a hiccup here or there, but basically all of this uh, activity moved online, and we handled it fine. We had no major issues of any kind. Uh, the, the network capacity was there uh, to handle it, as opposed to Europe, where they do have regulations, and the regulators had to tell Google and Netflix to down-resolution their streams uh, because they didn't have enough bandwidth. So they actually did have to ration bandwidth in in Europe uh, where they have regulation. But see, the chairwoman, she didn't care about any of that. She stood up and she said, when I had to work at home, uh, I couldn't find a spot in my house that had good Wi-Fi, and that meant that I had, we need to regulate the Internet. And she said this not once but twice. She said at the first speech when she uh, announced this at the National Press Club, then again uh, from the dais of the FCC uh, when they were actually voting on her proposed item. And, you know, you're watching this. You have to scratch your head, Bob. And it's kind of like, you know, did this person rise to be chair of the Federal Communications Commission without knowing the difference between the Wi-Fi on the local network in her house and (laughs) the public Internet? Or does she just think that other people are stupid enough not to know the difference? I'm not really sure which one it was, but, you know, I kind of said, you know, like, can I just buy her a good router and she'll leave the rest of us alone? Well, that's the thing. I mean, here here in our home, yeah, in our home, we had a problem and we had a professional come in, a guy who uh, takes care of this type of stuff, a couple of routers around the the place and it was, everything worked fine. I mean, why should we have to, why should we have to pay for her ignorance with regard to the internet? Totally unrelated problem. Totally unrelated problem. And it's unbelievable. You know, the, the internet is a free market Xanadu, and it's worked so well without government regulation. And I just don't understand why they feel like they have to screw things up by somehow yeah, getting into you know, the. It's, bo- in- it's really interesting, Bob, because you know the decision, <coughs> the decision basically not to regulate the internet or to regulate it so lightly that that effectively it's not regulated. 
this was not automatic. This was a very conscious decision that was made, and it was actually made during the Clinton administration when William Kennard was the chair of the FCC. And, you know, what, what, the, what the FCC said under Kennard was basically, you know, this technology is very interesting. It's in its infancy. Let's, like, leave it alone and see what happens. Let's yeah. not mess with it. And uh, then a few years later, the cable guys got involved in the Internet, and they said the same thing. They said, okay, let's, let's not regulate cable modems. Uh, let's kind of leave this alone and see what happens. And w- what happened in the United States as a result of this uh, decision that was made uh, is really unlike almost anywhere else in the world. Almost everywhere else, you have the phone company that offers Internet service, and it's kind of regulated, and that's it. Now, in the United States, we have something very different than that. We've got the cable and the phone companies in sort of this cutthroat competition where they you know, try to leapfrog each other in speed and technology and they invest and consumers have benefited enormously from yeah, that. Yeah. And you know, that was a policy decision. It didn't have to be that way. I think it was one of the best policy decisions that's ever been made uh, by a regulatory agency not to mess with you know, an emerging new technology and to leave it alone. And that lasted all the way into the Obama administration. And, uh, of course, Trump restored it. And so and I, I think that it's incredible that they refuse to learn this lesson, that, you know, there's some things that are better off without government regulation. And, you know, I really think they just deserve enormous mockery and ridicule because yeah. they had all of these outlandish predictions about how it would be the end of the world if the Obama regulations were repealed, and literally none of them happened. Zero. No, yeah. no adverse consequence of any kind. The only consequences have been positive. And just taking a step further, their focus is on renewing and the Groundhog Day with regard to Internet control and uh, regulation uh, and uh, net neutrality and so forth. But it's not like we don't have I- issues with big tech. I mean, we've got plenty they could focus on that could help us and help the marketplace with regard to censorship and all these other issues. Yeah, well, you know, that's the other aspect of this is that, um, you know, the, the, the whole theory behind this was the phone and the cable companies are going to serve as gatekeepers and block what people can see if we don't regulate them. And that, that obviously has never happened. But we do have companies that do act as gatekeepers, and they're the giant tech companies, not the phone and cable companies. You know, they're the Googles and the, the Facebooks and the, uh, and the Twitters, pre-Musk. And... Not only was that done with no government interference or regulation or attempt to stop it, it was done at government urging, at government suggestion, in collusion with government that wanted to suppress uh, you know, alternative viewpoints, conservatives, people who were skeptical of COVID lockdowns and so forth. And so you know, one of the things that I really worry about with economic regulation is that it will lead to content control because... You know, look, we've got billions and billions of dollars flowing of broadband subsidies through the infrastructure bill and the uh, the the, uh, the the other uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and yeah. all these other Biden initiatives. And when you have government money, it tends to come with government control. The only thing that maybe kind of saves us from that is if you've got robust competition. And when you have government regulating from an economic standpoint, and also government putting money in. I really worry that you're going to end up with a situation where people start to say a couple of years down the line, well, you know, this network is a government network that was built with government money and it's regulated by the government. It needs to be regulated also in the public interest and we can't allow dangerous misinformation and you can't, uh, you know, you can't have this uh, climate denial and you can't have COVID skepticism and all these, you know, these dangerous ideas of the right. And so I do think that there, there is a very short step from economic regulation to content restriction, even though 
I get called a conspiracy theorist every time I say that. I, I'd rather not step down the path of government regulation at all. I certainly agree with that. Again, uh, Phil Kirpin, he is the president of American Commitment. I hope you'll visit AmericanCommitment.org, AmericanCommitment.org. Phil, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, have a good one. You too as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Megan Chionis. Uh, she is a real estate professional along with her husband, Matt, here on the Paradise Coast. We're going to be talking about market trends in real estate, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and opening a new uh, golf uh, performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be fabulous. You can uh, get tickets and find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Megan Chionis. She and her husband, Matt, uh, are real estate professionals here on the Paradise Coast. Megan, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, thank you, Megan. So uh, I want to talk to you about market trends here on the Paradise Coast. Before I do, though, perhaps you could tell us about your business. Absolutely. So my husband and I relocated to Naples full-time from Chicago. We lived downtown um, back in 2017. 
and right away we started building our real estate business and I'm sure you know there are thousands upon thousands of realtors in the Naples area alone. And so we really wanted to work hard on differentiating ourselves and really focused on bringing as much value to our clients as possible. Um, so we've been evolving our business into um, what we call concierge real estate. And so we wanted to not only assist buyers and sellers in the, the purchasing and the sale process, but we also wanted to provide them with kind of post-closing services that we thought would be valuable to them that would make the owning property process less stressful um, and just more exciting so that they could focus on being here in paradise. And so we offer our clients different services like complimentary home watch, uh, property management. We will assist them in renovations if they purchase a home that needs to be renovated things like pool installation, and we've really just been building it over time to offer more and more ancillary services, and we operate mostly west of 41 with Pelican Bay being our primary uh, area. We love the lifestyle, and we love sharing with people, and I'm sure, as you know, once people see Pelican Bay, it's hard to, to see anything else uh, with all the amenities, and so that's been, that's been our business. We've very blessed. We've met some amazing people along the way, and we are we're excited with the the direction that the Naples market is taking, and, and we're looking forward to seeing what that's bringing. Absolutely. Again, Megan uh, Chionis, uh, the phone number, by the way, is 269-5301, 269-5301. So, Megan, uh, we've seen interest rates go up, but there's a lot of uh, variables that are happening within the real estate market. Certainly, uh, a lot of people migrating down to the Paradise Coast. I wonder if you could give us an idea of what's going on. Yeah, there is a there is a lot going on, uh, and we have been really mindful in taking those things into account as we navigate with both our our buyers and sellers. Naples is a little bit of a unique market. Yeah, um, it's a little bit more insulated than many other markets. So. Overall, in all of Naples, it covers around 75 to 76% cash purchases, mm. with West 41 being 95%. Wow. Um, so we're a little bit more insulated from things like interest rate hikes. Mm -hmm. Does it change people's buying powers a little bit? Yeah. But overall, we haven't seen that have as much of an impact as other markets in the U.S. That um, is amazing. 75% cash sales. Uh, and was that west of, uh, in the western area in, in Pelican Bay or overall in Collier County? Overall in Collier County. So from a $100,000 property all the way to a $100 million property, 75% of those purchases are cash. Um, at least on paper. People could opt to finance on the back end, but they are approaching those deals with no finance contingency ability to bring cash to the table. That is fantastic. Well, uh, so, uh, what are the reasons that sellers are selling then? Is it uh, changes in family situation or what usually marks the, uh, the, the availability of a property? So, we've been operating at about 50% capacity in terms of our inventory. We are really low. It's getting better as we approach season, which we're so excited about. Uh -huh. But we have really been lacking inventory since pre-COVID. Um, and I think that right now, a lot of sellers are, there's always the sellers that are, you know, they have a life change. They're upsizing, they're downsizing, 
they're not here as much. They're here more. So that drives a lot of the sales. Uh Um, So they're not necessarily leaving Naples. They're just moving within Naples based on where they're at in their life right now. Um, A lot of sellers are feeling a little bit more confident now to sell. And so they either have, you know, some fantastic equity in their um, property. They feel a little bit more solid about the market now that we're approaching season. So it's a couple of different things. Mostly it's just a change in life in, in a certain extent. That makes sense, Megan. So uh, how about uh, pricing? Is, are you seeing an adjustment in prices uh, as a consequence of what's happening financially here in the, uh, in, in, uh, the Paradise Coast? The, the pricing, so this was our first off-season this summer. It was our first off-season that we've had since pre-COVID. Uh-huh. I think that in talking with both buyers and sellers, people forgot what it was like here in the summer. We had our market was going 24-7 through chaos. Everything was selling within moments, and it was hard to keep up. So our, our market leveled, which I'm glad because it needed to. Um, and it just happened to coincide with it being summertime. So it's hot down here. Everybody's going up north. There's just It's always been slower in Naples. We call it the summer slowdown. So I think that because people forgot what that was like, Sellers got really nervous and thought that because their property wasn't selling with multiple offers within days of coming to market, that something was wrong on a, on a grand scheme. So more of like something's wrong with the economy and that's why. Um, when really it was just because it's summertime. Yeah. And of course there's other influencing factors, but the, the biggest part of that is there's just a very small buyer pool active in Naples during the summer. Now that we're in approaching the middle of November, which is hard to believe, we are seeing an uptick in inventory and we're seeing an uptick in prices, which is what happens in Naples. That is so interesting. Again, Megan Chionis. Uh, and uh, how about the migration into uh, the Paradise Coast here? Are we seeing a continuing migration, people wanting to come down and uh, establish themselves and uh, get a residence here? Yes, we're seeing you know, I think that Naples will always be a large portion of, you know, what we consider snowbirds. So they're here for a season and then they go back up north. Yeah. The amount of people that are moving here full time is astounding. And a lot of them are young professionals, young families. I mean, there's nine high schools in Naples with a couple of private and they're all at capacity. So we have this just crazy surge of a younger population and they're calling Naples home 365 days a year. That is so interesting. Again, Megan and Matt Chionis, again with Gulf Coast International Properties, encourage you to give them a call and uh, sit down and talk about your needs and what you want. Again, you, she's, uh, Megan talked about the concierge service they offered and uh, just doing a terrific job for their clients. 269-5301 is the phone number. 269-5301. Megan, really appreciate the real estate update. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob, so much. Have a wonderful day. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Uh, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help elected officials have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of about a dozen book books, his latest Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, and he writes his column in Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, good morning, Bob, and thank you. My pleasure, Professor. And I understand you're going to a dedication today for, uh, for Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, he's having an unveiling of a statue made of him at Texas A&M University, and it's at a air base where he trained. He was a fighter pilot, of course, and... Uh, so Nancy and I are going to drive and, and uh, see the unveiling. And Buzz and his wife, Anka, will be there. So I haven't seen him for, uh, well, several months. And, uh, did I recall you writing a book with him? Yeah, we, we did a book, I guess, about a year ago uh, uh, about uh, space and kind of a history of space, huh. pioneering the space frontier. And, uh, and uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's an informative book about really the History of international space, not just not just the U.S. My goodness, we're seeing so many uh, developments in outer space right now. A hundred thousand constellations, a hundred thousand planet, or not planets, but uh, 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 what's the word I'm seeking here? But uh, universes, uh, or I should say, uh, not just with suns and, and planets revolving around them. A hundred thousand new ones discovered in just the last few days. Just amazing. It's a, it's a big world out there. <laughs> it is. So, Professor, you wrote a piece called uh, Bad Climate Data Brings Wrong Conclusions. They're really interesting. Maybe you could tell us about it. 
Yeah, I think this is pretty important. There's a couple of major studies that came out, and they were they were published in in major journals uh, recently. One was a climate journal, and the other was astrophysics journal uh, that suggests that the uh, the climate data that's been used with a lot of the uh, models and so on is has been woefully uh, skewed. And uh, the, the first study was headed by uh, Willie Soon, a good friend of mine, who actually was visiting our home, you know, during the last couple of days. He just went back to Boston. He's, I think, one of the world's latest leading uh, astrophysicists. Hmm. But, but what, they, what they, they did is they, they looked at the temperature data for the past 150 years, and there's, there's a, something called the heat island effect, where if you look at, 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 at the heat measurements in cities, they run several degrees higher than they do in the countryside because the, the city areas are, are paved and the, the pavement you know, absorbs you know, uh, thermal heat and, and during the, uh, and in the buildings as well. Concrete buildings absorb heat during the day and then it radiates out at night. But then if you go to, and that's where a lot of the instruments where they measure temperature, you know, global temperatures in Northern Hemisphere temperatures are, are located. These areas, they're only about 4% of the Earth's land area, but they, that's where a lot of the recordings are. Yeah. And then if you, you go on the countryside, it's, it's a different story. And then, so they, so they did a study and they looked at the temperature data of rural areas without the, the cities. And then there's a parallel study that was done that looked at at, uh, at the influences of, of solar uh, um, solar influences on, on on temperatures and what they did is they took the UN data but they added a lot of other uh, data that the uh, other that, that's used in the scientific community that you know in other words the United Nations kind of cherry picked what they used but if you looked at broader uh, data from the sun. Uh, what they really found was that very little correlation of, of the warming, very slight warming we've seen in the last 150 years with with uh, carbon dioxide, but a, a great deal of correlation with changes in the sun. And, and the sun has such huge influence on the Earth that even tiny uh, variations on, of uh, solar uh, output, which occur periodically, have major influences on, on seasons and weather and so on. So, sure. so it, it's a I think a rather amazing study, which uh, again suggests that you know when we when we when we make these energy policies on this climate change mantra that has to do all focus on carbon dioxide. There's you know looking at this data, there's little there's very little basis for this yeah. and. Uh, you know, it's you know we're talking about spending trillions of dollars on 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 very unsettled science, basing models and climate models and so on that have never and never uh, they they always run about two or three times too hot, and uh, you know this is something that uh, this the 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 the, the uh, Energy companies, you know, so-called green energy companies, so on, are are fighting this data like hell because they don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to uh, yield 
um, you know, to the, this public uh, uh, fright campaign. That's so much part of their business plan. Yeah. I understand that actually uh, that sunspots have a lot more to do with uh, temperature change than, than uh, actually carbon dioxide. So, I mean, the, the activity on the sun, uh, literally, and I think a sunspot is when there's a flare of some sort from, from, from the sun. That can have a big influence on temperature changes. Yeah, because the sunspots are, are, are just, you know, they're uh, uh, things that happen because of magnetic changes on the surface of the sun. And, and you know, sometimes during certain periods there's more of them and other periods there's fewer of them. And if you look at the Little Ice Age, which, which lasted from about 1350 to 1850, and it was, wasn't a real ice age, but it was a, an anomaly called a minimum, it it was a period of very very low sunspot activity, huh. but but there was you know major cooling that occurred in the northern hemisphere, and you know we had you know really bad things that happened: the potato famine in Ireland, and and uh, the Thames froze, and and you know it had it had you know major impacts. So so it's been suspected that these you know these magnetic changes are one. One factor that that has affected climate over the years, and then, but there's there's also things that have to do with the change, slight changes in the Earth's tilt and, and orbit around the sun, and so on. That that over you know over hundreds of thousands of years, and and so you got a whole lot of moving parts with climate, and even the sun has a lot of moving parts in terms of influences on us. Absolutely. Maybe it's time to take a step back and take another look at the science here. See if we can't come up with some conclusions that actually uh, support, uh, that are supported by science. So, uh, Professor, I just genuinely appreciate your comment here in the show. I'm going to refer our listeners to your column. It's called, uh, in Newsmax.com, it's called On Point. Bad climate data brings wrong conclusions. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's great to have the opportunity. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, <clears throat> we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's located in Tel Aviv, so we'll be doing an update on what's happening globally. We'll also visit with John Middlemore. He is the uh, editor-at-large with Fee.org. And then Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>